137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal. This is episode 259, and we're just figuring it out, I think. Yeah. With me, as always, is Presto. What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos and whatever else you want to be? <laughs> this is a fun one because we are we're attempting to stream live video so if you're on the YouTubes, we will start advertising these more often. But yeah, we might start doing live streaming of the episodes. So you kind of get two different worlds. You get the audio, which I kind of do a nice little edit on. And then you get uh, this raw dog here, yeah. man, how the sausage gets made. We're raw dogging it, people. So mm. mistakes are going to be mm-hmm. made. Words are going to be mispronounced. <laughs> We're probably going to screw up reading the show notes, and uh, all the regular podcast people are never going to know the difference, but you will. So it's like a shining little gift from us to you. So, and you know what? I like to point out that other YouTube creators actually charge for this bullshit. So, you know, you get to pay for a membership and you get the special How the Sausage Was Made. We're just throwing it at you for free. So. You know, it's the it's the giving season. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Consider us Santa Clauses. <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah. Well, hell yeah, man. I'm excited you wanted to do this. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's a true test to see how much we can filter ourselves, how much we need to filter ourselves as well. And I will start wearing pants. Yeah. Sean's going to start wearing pants. And if we completely screw up, I'm okay with it because then this could be the format for the news episodes that I never, ever post to YouTube. So (laughs) either way, in one way, one form or another, this will continue. So we'll just figure it out. And Isaac, if you're watching, buddy, uh, what's that say? 57 cents, 40 or 51 cents, 47, baby. 51 cents 47. Got your hat on, brother. Man, I, if I had pants on, I'd get up and get my hat off of my lamp back there. <laughs> now, as you can see, I'm just going all natural. I like it. And uh, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's, but aliens. it's aliens. And then I'm, uh, I got to <laughs> I see the haircut real Cocoa bad. Bites uh, triple chocolate milk stout mm. that uh, doesn't really taste triple chocolate, but uh, that's what we're drinking tonight. Well, I'm going with a, a Baba Yaga stout from Bear Republic, mm. and it may have sat in my fridge too long. I think it's almost two years old. Kind of chunky? <clears throat> like me. Yeah. yeah. It's all right. Well, let's just get into it, shall we, Presto? If you... Oh, I should have probably given you the news sound bite as well. Oh, well, we're learning. Yeah, we're learning. <laughs> if... <laughs> If you could have any cryptid Preston living on your big old duck daddy farm, what cryptid would you choose to own? So I the um, we just talked about it last episode on the Tanzania mm-hmm. part two. Uh, what do the Tanzanians call their little goblins? The Tokolosh. 
Yeah, I, I would have one of those in a heartbeat. So I, I don't want to have to go through the ritual <laughs> of having one, but if I could bypass all that BS mm-hmm. and just get my own little tokolosh in the backyard that, uh, you know, it could tend to the ducks and the goats for me and we could go out, you know, I'd have a drinking buddy and a cigar smoking buddy. That would be the one that I would want because I don't think I want to kick back buds and smoke <laughs> cigars with Mothman. So it'd have to be the Tokolosh. And plus, he'd be small <laughs> enough I could like hide him in my pocket and uh, the world would never know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He could smoke his cigar through that little hole in his forehead. That'd be a fun little party trick. Yeah. Shit, yeah, man. I think I would like to have my very own cachet of Kentucky Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. Yeah. Like three of them. A nice solid three count. Just kind of, you know, habitually stalking my backyard. Well, a little girl in L.A. is that much closer to having her dream come true. Because rules are rules, and animal control officials in Southern California have granted official permission for a little girl to keep a unicorn unicorn at home, provided she follows a strict set of guidelines. Los Angeles County Animal Care and Control this week shared a letter they received from a little girl named Madeline. The little girl wrote, Dear L.A. County, I would like your approval. If I can have a unicorn in my backyard, if I can find one, please send me a letter in response. Now the director, Marcia Maida, replied to the letter along with a pre-approved unicorn license, a heart-shaped license tag, and a plush toy unicorn until Madeline can find a real one. The license letter included five conditions for her to legally keep a unicorn. Number one, the unicorn must be cared for in compliance with all animal caretaking regulations set forth in Los Angeles County Code Title Number 10. Number two, the unicorn is given regular access to sunlight, moonbeams, and rainbows. Oh. Number three, the unicorn is fed one of its favorite treats, watermelon, at least once a week. Number four, the unicorn horn must be maintained to be in good health. It requires polishing at least once a month with a soft cloth. And number five, any sparkles or glitters used on the unicorn must be non-toxic and biodegradable to ensure the unicorn's good health. Maida commended Madeline for her sense of responsible pet ownership. Now, collectively, let's all say, aww. Yeah, that's adorable. And also, way to go to L.A. County, man. That's freaking fantastic that they would go through and actually, you know, support that and go out of their way just to make somebody feel good. I like it. There was, um, was it the woolly rhinoceros? I mean, there have been several animals that have been deemed like the real-life unicorn, but one of them, I think, was the woolly Mm -hmm. rhinoceros. Because of where the, instead of being on like its snout like a normal rhino, it was actually like on the top of its head. So they dubbed it like the real life unicorn. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yeah. And that thing's fucking Mm -hmm. massive. Like, I don't think that little girl could handle if we could uh, genetically engineer one of those. (laughs) uh, I'm just saying, like, she couldn't polish its horn. I mean, you make a couple of them. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Make a couple of them and then learn how to shrink them down. It'll be all It'll right. Be, uh, it's like Jurassic Park. That was the original plot of Jurassic Park that wasn't in the movies. They bioengineered elephants and <laughs> shrunk them down to make them like dog size, but they were like 
all stupid and like vicious and they're like well we can't make smaller animals so let's make bigger ones how about dinosaurs and so i feel like that's <laughs> how that scenario is gonna go so whoops ah uh, you're probably not too wrong yeah you're probably not too wrong well, let's get a little nosy with this next story, Presto. In Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, an argument between two men over a golf game led one golfer to bite off the nose of the other one in the middle of a parking lot at the casino. Mm. Mark Wells, 51 years of age, in Biloxi, initially fled the scene in a Tesla, because of course he did, before turning himself in, says Bay St. Louis police. The nose, however, was not found, which leads you to believe, did he swallow it whole or spit it out the window? Officers responding to the complaint of the assault at the Hollywood Casino Monday night arrived to find a victim with a disfigured facial injury. The investigation determined the suspect, Mark Curtis Wells, had bitten off the nose of the victim. Did he bite off more than he could chew? Oh, snaparuga. Officers were told that Wells and the victim had been arguing throughout the day over a golf game they played at the resort's course. Wells was charged with felony mayhem and booked onto the Hancock County Jail, where he paid the required 10% of his $50,000 bond by himself and walked out within one hour. Now, according to the Biloxi Sun-Herald, Wells faces up to seven years in prison if convicted of the felony, which state law defines as a premeditated crime committed with the intent to kill, in which the uh, suspect mutilates, disfigures, disables, or destroys someone's tongue, eye, lip, nose, limb, or other body part. (sighs) Ah, what the ever-loving fuck. That's why I don't play golf, man. Yeah. Gentleman's game, my ass. Disc golf, though, is another story. I don't think I've ever heard of anybody oh, yeah, getting their yeah, yeah. nose bit off in disc golf. Those are a bunch of... No, we just got really wasted people. and threw a bunch of discs at a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, well, our final news story of this episode is going to get a little cheesy... Because, Presto, did you hear that Kraft Macaroni and Cheese is being sued over a Velveeta's Mac and Cheese taking longer than it's supposed to be to make it in the microwave? <laughs> no. This... That's right. Vel... Uh... <laughs> Velveeta's Mac and Cheese claims it takes three and a half minutes to prepare. But this Florida woman says no, and she's suing the manufacturer for $5 million. Amanda Ramirez from Halea filed a suit against Kraft Heinz Food Company for a proposed $5 million. The class action lawsuit will be filed claiming that the foods producer of Velveeta shells and cheese knows it takes longer than advertised to prepare, according to court documents. Ramirez's attorney filed suit in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida. It was filed on November 18th, according to to the complaint. In the lawsuit, it says the microwavable single-serving cup of macaroni and cheese packaging reads, it will be ready in three and a half minutes. But they are suing because this presto is false and misleading. The instruction says to microwave the cup for three and a half minutes. 
The attorney for Ramirez argues this number doesn't account for the other four steps required to prepare the pasta. The steps omitted include removing the lid and the pouch, adding water, microwaving, stirring, and other steps according to these documents. These additional steps make it impossible for the mac and cheese to be ready in the stated three and a half minutes flat. Heinz Food Company spokespeople said, we're aware of this frivolous lawsuit and will strongly defend against the allegations of the complaint. The lawsuit says that Kraft is unfairly profiting off these false advertisements on the Velveeta mac and cheese cups as customers expect a well-known brand to be honest with them. The company sells a product at a substantial price premium while using the misleading marketing of Ready in three and a half minutes because this instantly catches the eye of a reasonable consumer. Customers pay more attention than they would otherwise because these three and a half minutes claim it's like many consumers who seek to stretch their money as far as possible when buying groceries and also the convenience of making a quick meal. Now, Preston, before you give your rebuttal, I'd like to say, as dumb as this sounds, it's false advertising. I think she has a case, buddy boy. Um. Yeah, look, if the guy that sued Pepsi <laughs> for Harrier Jet didn't win, uh, uh-huh. she ain't winning. So I think he had more grounds to stand on than 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 she does. So, I mean, look, here's my thing. <laughs> I you, see where you're coming from. If you say that all I have to do is, like, follow the instructions and zap it in the microwave for three minutes, and at that point the mm-hmm. food is fully cooked in three – I don't care about the other prep – that's like me yelling at, uh, you know, Kraft macaroni and cheese for the box macaroni because it says it's like 12 minutes to cook. And I'm like, well, it's not 12 minutes to cook, guys, because first I got to open up the fridge. I got to get out the, the milk. I got to get out the butter. And then I got to open the box. And then I got to get out a pan. And by the time I do all that, I've really invested 25 minutes of my life. And that's just not a quick meal. That's false advertisements. I mean, I, I argue with you that I wake up, I miss my alarm, I got to eat a little lunch, a little breakfast before I go to work, and I'm thinking, okay, I got five minutes to be out this door. Let me throw this Kraft mac and cheese cup in the microwave for three and a half minutes. That still gives me 90 seconds to finish getting my shoes on, comb my hair, and grab my car keys. And then I take it all apart, bop, boop, bop. Next thing you know, I'm already four minutes late out the door. No thanks, pal. No, thanks. Oh, you're killing me. How does he even make it as a news story on the show? Oh, I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only found two, and I like to have a solid three. Oh. Just like my Kentucky Goblins, I like to have a solid three news stories. Um, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, now that the hard stuff's over, Preston, you did the real heavy lifting on this episode, so I'm going to hand over the reins, buddy, and let you get after this, man, because you kind of teased this topic uh, right after you got back from your guys' honeymoon, so. Yeah, because I ended up buying, um, when we were down in San Antonio, we were on the, the Riverwalk Ghost Tour, they had like a book that's mm-hmm. like Haunted USA, and it was like Haunted San Antonio, and it's filled full of stories. And then when we took uh, my daughter out for her birthday, we were at uh, Fantastic Caverns or Mystic Caverns, whatever it was called. 
and uh, they ended up mm-hmm. in the bookstore, and it was like haunted Missouri, haunted graveyards of Missouri, and then like something else. And I'm like, well, shit, I've already bought one. I might as well buy like the rest of these. And then I'm like, holy god, <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a whole series of shows that we could be doing. And um, yeah, for sure. I'm like, you know, let's start with this one. Um, so this is where we're at, and um, mesquite, cedar, cactus hobos and a bustling metropolis the modern city of san antonio offers a unique landscape and ambiance to visiting tourists hundreds of years ago however the south texas landscape and people were quite different it was a breathtaking experience to those european settlers who for the first time stepped into a world of green grasslands which they weren't that green when i visited and rolling hills to the north, and (laughs) buffaloes that freely roamed its lands. Despite all the beauty this land had to offer, its longtime occupants, the Comanche Indians, were less than thrilled of having visitors, totally agree, to the area. Fast forward today, and as you leave the flat land of the city, you make your way uh, way north to Loop 1604. On all sides, you'll find yourself surrounded by hills and the And that, dear listeners, is the start of Texas Hill Country. But one specific hill will catch your eye, one that stands a little taller than the rest, right off what is now called Nacogdoches Road. I hope I got that one right. With its tall... I'd say, yeah, I'll give you a solid 8 out of 10 on that. Yeah, dude, I nailed that one. With its tall, (laughs) castle-like tower... So gather around the campfire, all you ghosts and goblins, for... Tales of Comanche Lookout Hill. But first, a little history. Comanche Lookout Park is located in San Antonio, Texas. The park is a measly 96 acres, but does have the fourth highest point in Bexar County, a gorgeous view and an extensive history. Comanche Lookout Hill stands at an elevation of 1,340 feet. Which, for us Kansans, is really fucking tall. Since the early days, the hill has been the, the vantage point of the area. The hill was used by a few Indian tribes over the years, mainly hunting and warfare because once one was at the top of the hill, the sky was the limit. You could see for miles and miles of landscape could be seen. And this was beneficial in preparation against enemy intruders. The first Indian tribe to inhabit the area was the Apache Indians. They were the king of the hill when the Spanish arrived. And then the Comanche came along and stuck their flag in the ground and uh, laid their claim to the area. And they were kings of the hill. In the 18th century, (laughs) yeah. See what I did there? I did, I did. In the 18th century, Spanish settlers who were getting tired of hearing, uh, you have died of dysentery, they shut off their Apple II computers and flocked to the area, hoping to make it their home. A home without dysentery, which is horrible because basically it's just bloody diarrhea. Mm, yeah. (sighs) Thanks, Oregon Mm -hmm. Trail. Wash your hands, people. Yeah. The hill, which now occupied by the Comanches, was used as a landmark by travelers. Following the trails the Native American used, the road was dubbed Camino Real, or Royal Road, which is now called Nacogdoches Road. So, uh, I'm going to take like a side second here. Do you think that's why uh, 
Chevy uh, dubbed their half car, half truck the El Camino because it meant the Royal. I just know. Ooh, just I bet it might. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Interesting. Dude, I'm pimping around town in the Royal, baby. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. My neighbor has an El Camino. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Front half is a car. Back half is a truck. The front is where you drive, and the back is where you El Camino. Anyways, you could take Royal Road <laughs> all the way from Nacogdoches to Barstrop, and uh, the last stop was San Antonio. Because the Comanches were king of that hill, and from its vantage point you could see for miles and miles, they gave that gave them enough time to gather the Braves to set an attack. And because of their superior advantage and height, the settlers would often be ambushed and obliterated. So think of lots and lots of death, blood, and mayhem. But after years mm. of death and fighting, the settlers finally gained the upper hand, and they became king of the hill. And, and around we go. The land surrounding <laughs> and including Comanche Hill was part of the 1,476-acre land grant that was surveyed for owners James Kahn in April of 1847. And over the following 17 months, the property was transferred to a number of owners, including Peter Gray, a lawyer and legislator and officer in the Texas Army, Alexander Patrick, and Ludwig Culloquin, a surveyor and state senator, which frequent land grants and sales is not uncommon during this period, so nothing special going on there, just kind of a thing of the time. <laughs> However, some of the residents in San Antonio will tell you the tale of how the towers was used as lookout for the Indians or even a military, you know, spot during the 1800s. However, paperwork mm -hmm. doesn't lie. County records will tell you that an elderly man, an ex-military guy, wanted to build a house that resembled a castle. So it's always good to have dreams, and this guy had one. In February <laughs> 1923, retired U.S. Army Colonel Edward H. Coppock came into ownership of the property. He was 44. He was a 44-year veteran of the of service who had fought in the war against the Apache and the Sioux in the Spanish-American War. He fought in the Philippine in Resurrection and fought in World War One. He was also a history aficionado and a romantic who had spent time in Europe and who had decided that he was going to build a full-size U-shaped castle on the slopes and flat crown of Comanche Hill because building castles made him chub. And that's what he wanted to do. That was his lifelong dream. <laughs> so he did it with the help of his two sons, Edward Jr., and some guy simply known as E.S., and a Mexican, Mexican laborer named Tarquino Cavazos, which nobody really mm -hmm. knows about this guy. I couldn't find anything on it and anything. Uh, uh, the book that I pulled the information from and websites were just like, yeah, you know, he hired a laborer and his sons, and uh, they began to lay the foundations and uh, decided, you know, to go at it. By 1928, mm -hmm. they completed the four-story Norman-style stone tower that can be seen on the hill today and which was molded after a similar structure erected by William the Conqueror at the site of the Battle of Hastings in the 11th century. According to a 1948 newspaper article, 
In addition to this, over the 25 years that Kopic developed the property, he also built a stone lodge, several buildings, and a 2,500-gallon water tower, a Spanish-style corral, pit, picnic tables, a barbecue pit because you got to eat barbecue, a tennis court because if you got yeah. a castle, you got to play tennis, and uh, why not some smaller homes uh, that have since been destroyed by fire. Both Copic <laughs> and because why not? Yeah, why not? Both Copic uh, and Cavazos died in 1948. However, when they did die, the Colonel's son abandoned the project. Like, dude, fuck, Dad's crazy. This guy's dead. Fuck it, we ain't lifting another brick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I know the story of Winchester House. Fuck that noise. Yeah, fuck that noise. So in 1968, they sold the land to a developer. Initially, the new owner began to move ahead with plans to develop the land and started by removing all the structures on the property except for the tower and some of the foundations. He's like, I don't need a fucking barbecue pit. I don't need a tennis court. I don't need these little stone lodge. Fuck all this shit. (laughs) But I've always wanted a tower, so let's leave the tower. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reasons, they did not move ahead with any new construction, and nothing was ever again built on or around the hill. And then the property continued to change hands over the years until uh, the 1980s. The owner became insolvent and had to liquidate its assets, and that led to uh, the U.S. government coming in, and they built like a little trust. A private group called Save Comanche Lookout led an effort to preserve the site, and that resulted in the Trust for Public Lands providing an interim loan to the city of San Antonio to purchase the site for a park. During this, I'd t- like to interject here and say liquidating your assets also sounds like you have dysentery. Go yes. on. Yes, yes, it does. Uh, during this time the center i'm a child oh yes for archaeological research at the university of texas released an archaeological investigation of comanche lookout park and it revealed some interesting things but there were also some stuff that got left out three pages of this report pages number two 18 and 19 have all been redacted because they contain what is described as restricted information. So I, I did dig a little bit deeper on this, and I thought, oh, this is uh-huh. you know kind of nefarious. What's going on? Like, why are we why are we yeah. missing three pages? And what's restricted information? So come to find out that uh, when you have um, an archaeological investigation going on, and they do like ground radar. And they do like a archaeological survey of the site. They will come up with hits of like gold, precious metals, and other artifacts. And they didn't want mm-hmm. anybody to like dig up whatever is there because there's a law in place that um, you, you can't go any, anything that's listed as an historical landmark or a site. You can't go digging it up, and you can't take anything off of it. So they're just like, people are fucking stupid. Uh, so let's not put this in the report. So it became restricted information. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's not like they found like, um, you know, like a satanic ritual site or anything like that. They basically found like some gold crosses and, you know, some jewelry and some other stuff, and they just left it buried there. So As they should, because we've all seen poltergeist. You shouldn't fuck with that shit. Yeah. 
So, over the years, visitors claim to have seen ghosts of many sorts in the area, in both the park itself and along the adjacent uh, Nacogdoches Road, including those of Indians, soldiers, and settlers. People have reported seeing the specter of an old man pushing a rock-filled wheelbarrow, and this specter has been identified as old Colonel Kopik himself. Like, you know, even in oh, death, damn. dude, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to complete his fashion in life. Like, he's still chubbing, and he just wants to finish <laughs> that castle. And feel... I'm just picturing, like, a Texan Sisyphus. Yeah. And, uh... Maybe his his spirit is just you know indigent about the people who vandalized his tower. I mean, in the late eighties yep. and early nineties, uh, people would throw rowdy parties in and around it. Uh, supposedly, <laughs> uh, maybe some rituals uh, were uh, for calling up the dead and other nefarious things were held there. And uh, that's that's his baby, Uh-oh. and he's just mad about it. Um, there are also yeah. vague and largely unsubstantiated rumors of gold having been buried on the hill uh, by the Mormons, um, who also ended up being massacred near it. So, like a group of Mormons, I guess maybe Ooh. they they had their little the gold Bible that they got from the angel, and they were trying to like hide it somewhere, and they ended up in Comanche Hill, and then they got massacred, and so it's buried there. Maybe that's part of the restricted information. Now that I try to put two and five together <laughs> that uh, that's the why it's redacted because they're like uh, we don't we don't want the mormons getting that back so just leave that buried yeah Oof. i think this whole thing started because they tore up the tennis courts man i yeah i think uh, old you man copic is just really there. pissed about the tennis courts and uh you know like texas uh, they, they love their barbecue and uh, so you took out the yeah, barbecue man. pit and you fucked the guy's tennis court um now he's pissed mm-hmm. so and, uh, yep. you know, we have uh, in Kansas, uh, oh, God, my memory sucks, the uh, the lights in Missouri, the Joplin. Pickleball? Uh, no, the Joplin lights. Um, so a lot of the residents. In- oh, yeah, the ghost lights, the um, Marfa lights. Yeah, and a lot of residents of San Antonio will tell you about moving lights that can be seen atop the tower Ooh. late at night. One of the tales told by locals talks about how the tower would be lit up when Indians were approaching. Locals believe the lights seen at night are the very ones to warn of Indians advancing closer to uh, or nearer the village. One of the more yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dramatic episodes that has uh, occurred at Comanche Lookout Park is described by Lauren M. and James A. Schwartz in their book Haunted History, Volt San Antonio. So a woman, we'll say her name is Lucy, was interviewed, and uh, she'd like to take walks there uh, late at night or early in the morning with her dog to the top of the hill. And um, Mm -hmm. during one of those walks, she heard chanting or voices in the forest around her, and uh, she just dismissed it as, you know, kids messing around. And, uh, you know, she, she just kept experiencing it. So the last time she dared to go into the park, as she had descended about halfway back down, it grew unnaturally dark, and she spotted two strange-looking men with painted faces following her. When they screamed and charged, she and her dog turned and fled, running as fast as they could into the parking lot at the bottom of the hill. She turned to face her would-be attackers, but as quickly as they appeared, they were gone. She left and uh, vowed 
never again to return to the park, believing that she had encountered the spirits of Native American warriors. Ooh. That's what I was going to ask. Was it like uh, just painted faces or actual like Native Americans? So that's interesting. Yeah. Well, Tommy Aiden Howell, back on August 13, 2016, had his own encounter right around 12, 10 a.m. He said, I used to go up there when I was 11. The ground was always covered in animal carcasses. The stench of death constantly hung in the air. Something besides ghosts lived there. Something strong and demonic, and it's not alone. I noticed after I had been going there for a while, there was a shadow following me. I first noticed it sitting in my living room after one of my trips up there. The temperature got hot, and I saw a shadow on the wall. But it was like wavy lines and not solid. Whatever it is, it's still with me. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Justin Bayless, September 13, 2020, wrote, I caught a picture of something terrifying in the woods when I went there at night uh, for this reason. For about a year after that night, I kept seeing a hunched down human-like entity, pale skin, always farting under my bed when I turned off my light. It was me. Yeah. Uh, at first I thought it was my cat until I saw her in the living room one night asleep. And right after I saw the thing um, as I went to my room, the thing in the picture followed me home and you can see the picture on my Facebook. And that that's it. That's all he said. If I get his Facebook, I better see a fucking humanoid entity lifting one leg up, just fucking ripping some dirty. Yeah. <laughs> or I want my money back. <laughs> well, Gabriel V. Morin, back on January 23rd, 2017, said, I went and hiked at Comanche Park around 7 p.m. I saw lights flickering in the tower, but there's no electricity lines connecting to the tower. I saw about three shadows dancing inside and around the tower. I also heard drums beating and stayed around to see if things changed. The longer I stayed, the louder the beats were and the colder it got. My whole body started to shiver and shake and tremble, and so I ran from the tower. The further I got, the warmer it became and the less sounds I heard. When I got to my car, the air was still silent. No sounds, no cars, no people. Another time I went and all I could see were lights flickering in the tower and I heard loud drum beats. Something haunts that tower. Maria, no last name, January 31st, 2021. That was the first time- My birthday. Yeah, happy birthday. Well, not, not now, but, you know, when it gets there. Oh. <laughs> it's a good practice run. Yeah. This, uh, this was the first time trailing. I could have sworn I heard briefly, like, Native Americans chanting, but I blew it off. And I, I didn't know any of this history until now that I'm reading this article. So. Huh. <laughs> I'm surprised her story made it in the book. Well, I'll be damned, man. And you guys didn't go to this area on the honeymoon, right? This is just from the book you got yeah, from this, the honeymoon. Yeah, this was just from the book. Uh, so I thought this was a good little tease, um, you mm -hmm. know, to get things started. 
Um, the one that I'm really excited about, and uh, for our for our one year anniversary, we're going back, and this time we're going to stay at the Emily Morgan, which used to be the main hospital in San Antonio. It was built in the late 1800s. Um, it was owned and operated by the church, uh, so you have um, 14 floors, 13 floors, but we can't we can't have the Damn. 13th floor, so it goes 1 through 12 and then 14 because 13 is an unlucky number. Um, so 13 mm-hmm. floors all together, and it was owned and operated by the church, and it was built during a time where tuberculosis and other things were just kind of running rampant. And so they have chutes, um, uh, like little little kind of holes in the wall on every single floor. And so as people were dying, the nuns would, you know, walk by and open up this giant mail chute and just kind of dump the body down the chute. And it would go all the way down to the basement where the crematorium was. And then they just pick up the body and throw it in the burner. And it is said that uh, they do tours where you can go to the basement at night, but you can still smell like that, that burning flesh death smell. Um, and the hotel itself sometimes have the, has that very hospitally smell. You can see nuns pushing mm-hmm. bodies down the gurney in the hallways, um, all sorts of weird shit. So that that one's in there, and I'm, I plan on covering that one. But I thought, you know what, this this would be a good tease for tonight. Um, you got uh, mm-hmm. Native American spirits uh, chasing people around. You got ghost lights. You got a pissed off dude that you know is mad that they tore his tennis court down. And uh, so I would be too, dude. I would be too. Yeah. So there you go, Comanche Lookout Hill. Well, hell yeah, man. I uh, I'm stoked that you wanted to do uh, not only just you know the subject you wanted tonight and to do kind of a series out of it. Uh, in the not so distant future, um, but also I'm stoked that you wanted to try this video chat thing here, man. Because you know we did this with Global Strangeness, and you had the thought of like, why haven't we done this for the last six years? Yeah. <laughs> so this will be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I'm stoked. I will probably fold the laundry that's behind me in that chair uh, next time. So. <laughs> oh. Your recording area is a little more uh, well kept than mine, but mine's not too shabby. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff, buddy. Good stuff. And I would like to report that I think about halfway through this episode, that was my dog snoring. I did not rip a big old giant fart. Or but, I mean, um, it could have been that ghost from Comanche Lookout Hill, man. It's uh, it's underneath the <laughs> laundry right now. That's what it was. Ass. So just ripping, yeah, yeah. man. Just uh, aerating my. My laundry. Patoops, yeah. patoops. Well, good deal, buddy. <laughs> um, now, speaking of Native American lore, have we talked about the... Uh... Oh, boy. See, folks, this is the part that normally gets edited out yeah. whenever we do a recording. But for you, you get to see all the awkward pauses here. Uh, in my ever-growing topic repository, there is uh, the Stakini... Have we ever talked about the stikini? Stikini? It's not ringing a bell. Okay, sweet. Well, we'll get into that sometime, too, because I thought about plugging that at the end of this episode, but then I realized it's kind of like a cryptid encounter that needs its own full episode to really chat about. So we'll uh, get into that another time. But 
Well, what do you think, man? Next episode is going to put us right around uh, the Christmas time. Should we dare attempt a third Christmas special or just find just a whole different fun non-Christmas topic? What do you think? I don't know. I think we, I think we could do a Christmas special. I mean, we've already done Krampus. We've, mm-hmm. we've already done the Holiday Goblins. Um, We've done mm-hmm. Mushroom Santa Claus. Uh, we've done Gryla and the Whipping Boys. There has to be something yep. out there that we haven't hit on for for Christmas. I'm thinking you, you got to be right, man. We've done the Mari Lut, uh, which is a giant horse demon ghost that you know just wants to come into your house and drink all your booze and eat all your food. Um, we did Dryul Nisis, which is the little red caps. We did Hans Trap, the uh, dirty, dastardly Christmas scarecrow. Okay, I like it. Let's see what we can dig up for our third Christmas special. And this time, we're not going to have um, five years in between <laughs> yeah. the first from the second. I like it. Awesome, dude. Awesome. Okay, cool. And we won't replay. Well, we what do you say replay, we end things? Uh, you know, episode the first Christmas episode, <laughs> like you know. Number seventeen. Yeah, yeah, we did that a couple. I mean, that is a crowd pleaser. It is a man. crowd pleaser. We did that a couple times. So, I've uh, I've broken out the mushroom story at a couple different work Christmas parties for Shayla's different uh, Christmas dinners we've gone to. Yeah, yeah. And I'm invited back every year, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we cut it here, buddy? Yeah, let's get out of here. Sweet. All right, guys. Until next time, if you're on social media, please check us out on Facebook, The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. If you are on the old Instagram, we are at PXL Paranormal. Uh, we have a Twitter. Haven't touched it. Um, that place is kind of a war zone right now, so who knows if it'll even be there tomorrow. But we are on Twitter as well. <sighs> Presto, what do you got? Buddy? I mean, obviously, we're on YouTube. And uh, we're probably you know, <laughs> yeah. going to go live here and there. I don't know. But uh, we're, we're, we have 147 yeah. videos. Um, I looked at the analytics the other day, and out of all 147 videos, there have been over like mm-hmm. 11,000 views um, with all those videos. Uh, 223 subscribers. So YouTube's growing. We appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, subscribe, share. You know, my mother, God rest her soul, just discovered YouTube, loves it. She's always watching it. I got to correct you. God rest her soul means she died. And I've seen your mom as of late. She's alive and kicking. I mean, she is alive and kicking. But I'm just, I'm saying, you know, <laughs> I, she. God rest her soul. She's just asleep upstairs. Yeah. She, and I come home. God, my mother, God love her. God love her. She. She discovered YouTube on her own and how to use the search menu, and uh-huh. so I'm just thinking, like, man, that's that's a whole that's a whole different group of people that we haven't touched yet, <laughs> and um, she enjoys it. You know, she's wa- she's listened to a couple of, of the videos, and uh, then you know looked up like giants in ancient history and like weird shit in ancient history mm-hmm. and it's like oh my god i just never knew that about aliens and i'm like i didn't even know you believed in aliens mom like this is a whole new side of you so you know what if you're, you're watching on youtube live and you like this and uh you know you, you like the rest of the show and the content that you're hearing 
I don't know, maybe share it with your grandmother, share it with uh, your elderly parents, because who knows, they probably believe in Bigfoot and that they enjoy this crap just as much as we do. So likes, mm-hmm. you know, subscribe, share, do what you're doing and, you know, keep helping us grow. And, you know, Hell yeah. need a beard, want a beard, want to grow a beard. Hell, maybe you went to Comanche Lookout Point or some other like haunted site across the United States. And now some, you know, demon <laughs> shadow spirits following you home, farting underneath the bed. And you want to up your game a little bit, like a little ooh-la-la, and your beard's looking a little scraggly. It's not looking as good as what it should. (laughs) I'm here to tell you, folks, go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order and pick yourself up some scents like Mm -hmm. Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, Sweet Tobacco. And, you know, after the demon rips a couple nasty ones, I mean party on it's gonna happen your face is gonna look good it's gonna smell good it's probably gonna counteract the crap that's going on in that bedroom like you're like thank god i got dobs in my face because this is putrid this is gonna just you know wipe me out you'll thank us 20 percent off your order go over to dobs get it all did you drop the uh code p-x-l-p-a-r-a i'm pretty sure i did i mean i don't know why i wouldn't if you if you didn't you know, it's a discount code, so nice, yeah. it's good to name it twice. It is. So. <laughs> <laughs> look at us, look at us. Here's what's cool about being on actual video. We can actually share cool visual aids like this. It is Christmas time. It is the time of sharing things you love with those you also love. Check out these sweet, sweet gifts. Now, my lighting's not set up properly in here, but check this out. This is an official, original Mopinguari action figure made by none other than our dear friend Baba Drock. Now, just wait, there's more. Check this bad boy out. A little shameless self-promoting. This is the Drop Bear. Now, it's again blurry because my lighting in here sucks, but this is the art I did for Baba Drock for the Drop Bear toy. He's got so much badass stuff on his Instagram on his personal website, please go check him out, Baba Drock. He is a phenomenal artist, an incredible toy maker, and yeah, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be dropping on these live episodes. Also, speaking of complete and total badasses, please, if you're in the Wichita area, stop by, see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang over at CD Trade Post, Pawnee and Seneca. <sighs> How's that for ad-libbing? No, dude. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a believer. Yeah, we've done worse. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, until next time, folks, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it. Here's to many more. And cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about and stay it. Stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the 